Hey, you're about to listen to an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. We bring the show to you free almost every week. I think maybe we take one or two weeks off a year. And it never costs anyone a dime. Well, it costs us a dime. It never costs you a dime. Uh, but a way that you can help us out a lot is, as always, you can visit our sponsors that we talk about in the show. You can also support us by going on over to patreon.com forward slash geek in the city. We have all kinds of levels there to help us out. And you get extra rewards depending on the level that you get there. But another really great way that you can help us out is to just share the show. Uh, we get comments all the time from folks, um, email messages back when you could see somebody physically in the real world saying that, hey, I love the show. Or like recently, it's like, hey, I really like the recaps you guys have been doing for Discovery and The Mandalorian. Um, and it's great. We love to hear that. It makes us feel really good. But what make us feel even better is to see like retweets of at GITC radio on Twitter or sharing us on Facebook or sharing us on Instagram, uh, telling us makes us feel all warm and fuzzy, but it doesn't help the show. <laughs> uh, the only way to help the show is to help us get the word out. So if you could help us share the show on Instagram, where it's geek in the city radio on Facebook, even though Facebook sucks, it's just also geek in the city radio or on Twitter at GITC radio. So, yeah, help us get the word out so we can keep the show going and getting the word out there and keep having more and more years of good, geeky, and socially conscious fun. Yeah, sounds good. Let's start the show now. It's been a long, long week. Why don't you spend some time with geek? So many issues today into which we must delve. We're gonna talk about the stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert, we're going more factor 12. Thanks for pressing play. Now we're gonna save the Why, hello, and welcome to issue 577 of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Spinarita. I am your other other host, Cable Hashtani. And we are joined by our special guest, uh, David F. Walker, who gave that face when I said 577 of like, really, dude, you need a better hobby. Wow, that's, I, 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 I'm, I'm impressed. I was expecting you to say like, episode 57 or something but then that's ridiculous because i i know you've been doing it a while so i've been on this mic for almost 16 years my hat is off to you i don't think i've done anything with any regularity for that long you've been writing that long (laughs) okay sure well i've been procrastinating that long how about (laughs) that's that's more like it i was yeah you say like Ooh, I don't know what that was. Ooh, there was some feedback there. That's freaking me out. Sorry, that's me trying to get to our YouTube chat. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, good idea. For whatever reason, it didn't start on mute. That's all right. <clears throat> so, David, what you been up to? Oh, you know. Other than not showering, apparently. Partying every day. I rock and roll all night and party every day. Just um, you and Gene Simmons? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I've just been, um, you know... 
I'd like to say that I'm that person who's been making the most of his time in quarantine, but I would be lying to you. So, um, (laughs) well, all right. I'm going to call you out on that one because I don't know how fair that is. First off, you've got the anarchist jurisdiction, which you successfully kickstarted the shit out of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Um, You've got the the history of the Black Panther Party coming out in January as a graphic novel. And, you know, you've got a TV show coming (laughs) out. So, yeah, that that exactly sounds like someone who's been slacking off. You sound like my shrink when you say that sort of stuff. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, No, you know, I, I honestly I have been I've been trying to keep busy. And and I think that I, I it's it's interesting because I spent probably the first four or five months of, of the pandemic and, and and this quarantining really with this attitude of like, well, everybody's going through this and we're all going through this together sort of thing, as if we were all experiencing it in this monolithic block the same way, mm-hmm. trying to sort of diminish whatever it was that I was feeling. And, and it wasn't until I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was like, man, the pandemic's the best thing that ever happened to me. It's, you know, I got laid off from my job. I've been collecting unemployment. I get to, and I was like, what? You know, and (laughs) that was sort of like the wake up call that I needed. And, um, and, and I started turning things around in terms of like my own productivity. And so I've been, I've been working on a lot of different projects, but there's been very few that I finished and and so the the like the Kickstarter thing that you mentioned this the anarchist jurisdiction book joke thing that I did is one of the few things that I actually successfully did and it was a it was a huge goof it wasn't meant to be a real thing you know so you think it's because um, you didn't take it seriously that far you didn't put any pressure on yourself yeah no I think that was a huge part of it and and what I learned in doing it was that it was a um it was it was really therapeutic and mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people who got who've allowed this time to, to like, they don't have the energy to do what they normally would do. Mm-hmm. And so they just stopped doing anything creative. And, and they're the ones I know who are in the most trouble. And, and I've always tried to do something, even if it's like as goofy as like making my own porn, which I, I didn't do. So I just joking. <laughs> All right. I don't know. We're going to kickstart that one. <laughs> I don't think I you think can put called- that on Kickstarter. I was going to say, yeah, no. what do you put that on? Isn't that stroke starter, I think, is what that is. <laughs> oh, man. There, there's a platform waiting to happen there. Yeah. But you got to act fast because apparently Visa and MasterCard will quit supporting it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, good to know. Cable, that that was leave... the conversation you walked in on. I'm going <laughs> to leave it up to you. I'm going to leave it up to you to start the Kickstarter of porn. I feel like we're sort of missing. Uh the forest for the trees here. We're talking about all these different platform ideas, but then, you know, we got to worry about whether or not financial institutions will support it like Pornhub or, you know, the cannabis industry. Um, We should just go straight to the top and just, just start our own money. Oh, there you go. I like that. True. Start our own money. So I'll tell you this. And that's technically not illegal either. No, that's how Bitcoin exists, right? (laughs) Someone's like, I'm going to make my own. I had a, um, a situation the other day. I probably shouldn't admit to this, but I will. Um, so I, you know, from, from doing conventions for comic conventions for so long, um, we, a lot of people tend to deal in cash. And so I've always kept, a, um, you know, a fair amount of cash on hand. 
and I've always used it for everything from like putting gas in the car to buying coffee. It's, it's been, you know, when I go out to lunch or whatever, the cash is usually what I use. Well, I haven't done that in coming up on a year, right? So all this cash mm-hmm. is sitting around and the handful of places I seem to go on a regular basis aren't accepting cash anymore. Right. And so the only place I go to with any regularity that was 100% cash only was the dispensary. And and I went there the other day and now they take plastic. And and I was like like the the good thing about going to dispensary with cash in your pocket is I don't go in with that much, so I never leave with that much, right? But now that they take plastic, <laughs> I I can sit there and go, "Okay, wait a sec. Do I want to you know, try this, try that, or the other. So I feel like, yeah, the days of cash are, are quickly going away. And and, um, and it's just, it's, it's, I, I think I'm just old school enough that, um, that I, that I, I, I like paying with cash. I like the feeling of having a big fat wad in my pocket and pulling it out and unfurling it. Yeah. 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 So, um, but you're right that that has been a, uh, and, unforeseen casualty of um, COVID-19 is that places don't want to take cash. um, And the places that do take cash are experiencing a change shortage. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it, it is all we can do to get like a, like five rolls of quarters for guardian games. Yeah. Yeah. On a, even on a weekly basis. It's crazy to me too, because I, I also am one of those people who from using cash so often um, or having it on hand, I also have a ridiculous amount of change. You know, um, I, I went somewhere the other day and, and I, I don't even, I can't even remember cause I don't remember what day it was, but uh, you know, I got a dime back and it was just like, Oh yeah. And I threw the dime in with whatever else. And, and, um, it's there's so much stuff that we have to get used to and 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 then you know what the beauty is it's all going to change like <laughs> by the time yeah. I'm used to it it'll all be the 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 yeah it's it's um well, it's I, a very interesting time that we're living I, in yeah, I like how I, everyone I'm, I like how it took the pandemic to make people think that cash was dirty Oh, I always thought it was. I washed I've never cash, worked at a bank. I know. Uh, I wash it. So, <laughs> I, do like, <laughs> I do too. I was going to say, I know why there's a, I know why there's a change shortage. It's because little old ladies aren't leaving their house to pay for things with their, you know, with whatever's in their coin purse. A little pincher. That's where all all the coins go. Little old ladies have them and then they aren't shopping with it because they're stuck at home. Oh, Um, and it's David Walker too, you know, Um, (laughs) I, you know what the, what, one of the hardest things for me to adjust to was, um, I had a daily ha- a daily routine and, and I would, every morning I would get up, didn't matter what the weather was like. And I would go for a walk and I would go to one of two or three plaid pantries that are s- sort of um, triangulated in the middle of them. <laughs> and I, I would get a cup of coffee. Like I, I drank, I proudly drank plaid pantry coffee. And, and, and this has been a, a hab, a, like a regular routine. And I decided, you know, when the pandemic started, okay, I better stop. And, uh, and, and so I actually bought like one of those coffee makers. It only makes a cup at a time. Cause I don't drink a lot of coffee and, and 
for one thing, plaid pantry coffee is just plain delicious. Um, it's, it's one of the things I miss the most. And, uh, and it's just kind of, it's, it's interesting to me because again, that's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's what, like a dollar 25, a dollar 50 for a cup of coffee, but you go, yeah. you know, say, say you even only go five, six times a week. That's, uh, well, what is it? That's three, six, that's nine. Then we'll say $10 a week. You're dropping 10 bucks. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. But what happens when you don't go? <laughs> that's 10 bucks that you still have. You know, I, it's also, uh, I was, I was thinking about this the other day because I actually filled up my gas tank and, and I, I drive a hybrid. So I normally, I don't fill it up that often anyway, but I honestly was like, I think the last time I put gas in my car was during the wildfires when I oh, was wow. like worried I might have to evacuate, you know, uh-huh. and it's like, <laughs> God, I remember doing that. Jen was like, let's top them all off. Make sure we're ready to go. Yeah. Um, Do, the other good yeah, thing about going to Platt is they have those little skull coffee things too. So you can give yourself that next to all the creamers. They have that little tiny little black oh, shot yeah. of caffeine. Yeah. 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 You know? <laughs> and, and to me, it wasn't even about the caffeine, you know, part <laughs> of it was just, I needed the, um, I, I, I needed that motivation to get up and go for a walk every day just to get out to get that little bit of exercise and and um, because I'm not a huge coffee drinker it's not and and so I'm not like you know I I don't mind getting coffee at a gas station you know it's like sure. it's it's uh it's about the ritual it is it was about yeah. the ritual and that's I would say that of all there's there's a whole lot of rituals that you know, I think for every single one of us that we've had to give up on in one capacity or another. And it's, and it's just, it's really, it's weird, especially every time we, like something comes up, like Christmas is coming up right now. Right. You know, and it's like, I, I, as much as I can't stand Christmas shopping, there's, you know, there's always at least one day I would have to go to the mall to buy something yeah. or there's always, you know, this, that, or the other. And it's like, Oh yeah, no, I don't have to do any of that shit now. So um, <laughs> it's, it's not the worst, but it's, it's, it's also, um, yeah, it takes a lot of adjusting to get used to. And, 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 and unfortunately, like I said, I think we're going to, um, there's some things we, we, that will change. I mean, again, really rapidly. I think the vaccine um, will change certain things, but then, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoy being a recluse. I, I kind of, part of me enjoys forgetting how long it's been since I took a shower or, you know, anything like that. Well, I think the good news about that is we're still all going to be quarantining and uh, oh, yeah. being reclusive and distancing ourselves and wearing masks for, at least another year. Yes. Even with the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. No, which, that's true. Yeah. Which is the part that people are like, well, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear everything's going to be fine. Like everything is not going to be fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, and, and, and it's just, I mean, I don't know how, like all, all three of you are, you know, you're part of that, uh, the, the, the nerd culture of, of Portland. And so I, as when I, when I logged in and I saw all of your faces, I was like, Oh, wow. I haven't seen any of you in close to a year, if not more. Mm-hmm. And, and, and wherever it was that I last saw you all three um, was, was had to be something related to n- nerdism, right? I mean, some, yep. Like comic release or something. We all run yeah. into each other. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm, I'm honestly thinking it might've been Rose city comic-con last year where I saw that might have been it, which is re- because of the other thing. I think you're think- right. 
Yeah. 2019. Yeah, yeah. When you stop and think about it, like in terms of comic conventions and, and stuff like that, the the that that season ends usually around October. New York Comic Con is the is the last big convention, mm-hmm. and then the the first big convention is Emerald City. And so, um, you know, I, I I think about it like for me, uh, the, the like the last trip that I took, the last business trip down to L.A. that I took was in early February. I've been to New York in in mid January. And so to me, it feels like, well, everything shut down for me the, the moment I got back from that last trip to L.A. Because it was like um, I was supposed to go to Emerald City. I was supposed to go to WonderCon. I was I, I think I think there was something like 10 conventions that I was supposed to go to that all got canceled. And I was, you right. know, I was supposed to do my first book tour in Europe and that got canceled. And and um, yeah, you know, but I'm alive. I guess that's the mm-hmm. good thing. And I'm still yeah. good looking. That's right. This is also true. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, speaking of like, you know, conventions and book tours, let's kick off really quick. Um, what got you started on writing the uh, the Black Panther graphic novel? The uh, history of the Black Panther. I, I don't want people to think you're writing yes. T'Challa. Yeah, no, I, I, and I definitely you're not writing T'Challa. T'Challa. No, not at all. Don't have any interest in that either. Um, well, I did. I wrote a book on the life of Frederick Douglass for uh, 10 Speed Press. And that book came out in 20, uh, I can't even remember now, 2019 or 2018. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, is is when I was working on that book, I, I had mentioned to the editor that I was working with at the time that I was interested in doing something related to the Black Panther Party. And it was more of a casual sort of thing, you know, like, oh, do you have any dream projects? And then, um, yeah, so the, 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 the Frederick Douglass came out in 2018. And, and so I would have mentioned this to, to Patrick sometime in 2017 and shortly after Frederick Douglass came out, we were talking about, you know, what a follow-up book would be. And, and he said, you know, would you be interested in doing the history of the Black Panther party? And, and I was like, hell yeah, you know, um, cause it's, it's a subject that I've always been very interested in. And, and I, I foolishly thought that I knew more than I did. So I thought it was going to be an easy project, an easier project to tackle than Frederick Douglass, because if nothing else, the, the Black Panther Party's history unfold, unfolded during the 20th century when, when mass media was, was up and running at its, you know, in, in, in pretty peak optimal <clears throat> performance. <clears throat> and, um, Turns out I was really wrong, incredibly stupid, made a lot of mistakes. But um, but yeah, so that's how the book came together. And it was really, it was actually really quickly, um, in part just because I had done the, you know, 10 speed press knew me, they, they, they knew what I was capable of. Um, and they, they knew that they were interested in doing this particular project. And so it, in that regard, it all came together very quickly. It, the, the, the research and the writing was was absolutely brutal and and i finished writing it um summer of 2019 um uh, probably like wow. june or july and and the artist he had already started working on it he was he was pretty well into it um by the time i'd, I'd wrapped up and, and the script had been approved and then he finished drawing it oh man i'm gonna say like august or september 
September of this year. So he, he was on it for, it's a 170 page book. So he was on it for a really long time. Yeah. Does he uh, do the, his own inks and coloring on it also? Yeah, he does. And, and uh, Marcus, Marcus Anderson is his name. And Mm -hmm. he, um, he does everything digitally. And, and, you know, I tried to be really mindful of the, the workload that I was placing on him and and also because the 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 um what the this type of book we were doing and what the publisher expected from us is very text heavy and and i would say probably maybe two to three times more text than what you would find in anything other than a alan moore or a chris claremont book so um (laughs) and so i was always you know part of the job of the writer at least my my feeling is is you know being aware of how many words are on the page, what that balance is going to look like right. and, and making sure that in the script, I let him know like, Hey, you, you know, this is going to be an easy page for you. And, and then it was a lot of pulling up references and uh, reference material. And, and we worked really closely together. And, and honestly, it was, it's one of the best working relationships I've ever had. I would, I would love to work with him again. That's cool. So your, well, your approach to this was that, did you kind of follow one specific person or was it more of a general, like different eras of as the party was forming and, it was, and, and a, the work that they did, and, you know? Yeah, it was, I, I knew going in that I was going to do a general, um, you know, like a historical overview starting from the beginning when the party formed in 66, 1966 to the time that it officially ended, which was, I want to say 82 or something like that. Um, and, and I, I, I what I wanted more than anything, I, I, I went out, I got a bunch of books, textbooks, uh, different autobiographies, biographies. I was reading them all and, and I was making note of what I thought was missing. And, and one of the things that was missing in the broader context was like stuff that's easily accessible. And that's part of the point of doing a graphic novel is to, is to make it easily accessible. Um, mm-hmm. There was some stuff in there that I, I, that, that I wanted that I wasn't able to, get as much of uh, um women played a, a huge part in the in the in the party but there's very little written about them and yeah. and so i had originally um in the my original outline had a much bigger section on on women in the party and i i want to say it was going to be something like 20 pages i had dedicated in the, according to the outline and it just became increasingly clear that that 20 pages was too much. And, and so then it was like a question of, well, how many can I get? How many pages can I do here? What, who can I get information on? And it was, that was one of the more eye-opening experiences. And I was just talking to, um, I did an interview, I think it was with Publishers Weekly maybe. And we were talking about this and I said that, um, you, I, you know, as a man, you don't necessarily, you, you, you can acknowledge sexism, you can acknowledge gender bias, you can, you can work towards changing it. But even if you're aware of it, you're not really aware of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's so much that you can take for granted as a man. And, and, and this was like a, a, this wasn't even a slap in the face. This was like a kick in the balls and a, you know, punch in the head when, when, um, when I really got into 
this part of the story. And in fact, it was, it was the last part of the book that I wrote because I kept hoping I was going to find more. I was going to find more. I was going to find more. And, and the interesting thing was, as I'm rambling, um, I had the same problem when I did the Frederick Douglass book and, and there was, I wanted to have a, a bigger section about his wife and there's nothing about her. And, <laughs> and you start to realize Okay, so there's more than 100 years separating Frederick Douglass and the Black Panther Party, but the women in their lives, their, their history was almost not recorded at all. And, and so you see this, I, I began to see this huge problem. And, and that's one of those things that where I'm at now is like thinking, okay, how do I address that personally in my work? And then how do I, um, what can I do to, to, to change it on, not just on a personal level, because it's like, yeah, sure. If I get to do a book about Harriet Tubman or Ida B. Wells, that's great. But that's just one book. How can I right. help open the door for others? Do you think this might lead to someone writing, I mean, essentially the women of the Black Panther Party? I hope so. I really do. And, and um, you know, and that's one of the things, too, is like, OK, so what's who am I going to end up talking to a, a week from now or two weeks from now? What kind of opportunities are going to present themselves? And one of the things that I think is interesting is that like the um, you know, we're, we're talking about something that happened 50 years ago, basically. So there's still members of the party that are alive, you know? And, and so it's like, there's somebody's parents or there's somebody's grandparents and, and those stories are still waiting to be told. And, and so, you know, I, I would encourage anybody who who knows somebody who was in the party or know somebody who knows somebody to sit down and talk to them and get that story because it's it, there's so many that are waiting to be told and and it's not just the Black Panther Party you could take any sort of socio political movement you could take any sort of artistic movement you could take any of them and and like the stories are there you know and 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 especially within our more marginalized communities them stories ain't being told right yeah definitely. Um, what? I mean, what is the like? What's your pie in the sky goal with with this book? Because I and I ask you that because it's only been in the last few years that I personally, you know, learned more about what really the the history of the Black Panther Party. Because growing up, even granted, I grew up in a small town, you know, a mm-hmm. very right leaning small town, but it probably wasn't until my late twenties when. I started to realize that, oh, the Black Panther Party wasn't just... Because you grew up in a small town, you're raised that they were essentially, they were another gang. Yeah. Like that is, mm-hmm. and that's straight up the narrative you're taught. Yeah. That they had to be put down like any other gang that is, you know, that is out there. And over the years, I, you know, I read more and more and I'm like, wait a minute, they, yeah, they helped the Black community, but then they ended up helping. Like, if you were poor, they were going to help you. They set yeah. up food kitchens. They set up you know bank funds it was all yeah they invented the concept of the ambulance (laughs) yeah Yeah. and the free breakfast program you name it they did so much um you know well when you ask that question Aaron it's um you're 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 opening the door to my ego right (laughs) you know you're opening the door to what, what I'd like the most I I honestly would love to see this book become uh 
as with the Frederick Douglass book, it's, I know that it's been adopted in, in several school systems and it's in a lot of libraries. I'd like to see that happen. I'd like to see some coursework developed out of it. Cause as, as I was writing both of those books, my goal was to, to write something that could be, uh, for lack of a better term, an entry level into the subject matter. And, and, you know, uh, I know I'm a little bit older than, than all of you three, but, um, you know, when I was a kid, I was, I was big into classics illustrated, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, you could still get reprints of that stuff fairly inexpensively. And, um, and, and so I'm in, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. And, and to me, classics illustrated was really my introduction to, uh, especially American literature, um, but not just American literature, uh, some, some British writers too. I mean, the first thing I ever read by Charles Dickens was, you know, the tale of two cities comic book. So, right. um, and, and, and I, I've never been one of those people who knocks the medium of comics, even when it's doing something like, um, you know, adapting, whether it's, you know, Herman Melville or, um, you know, Alexander Dumas or, or anything like that. I, 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 I know what it did for me. And, and so I would like to think that maybe this will do that for other people. There's, there's some great books about um, the Black Panther Party out there, but I ain't going to lie, man, they ain't got no pictures in them. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I like right. a book with pictures. I, I love a book with pictures. I, and it's I was say, well, like I, I checked out uh, Black Against Empire from the from the library. Yeah. It's, and yeah. it's really it's wonderfully written. I had to switch to the audio because my brain, especially when it's a more scholarly telling of a history, my brain's like, we can't do this, man. You've got to give us something else to focus on while we're learning. You know, I just I just had that happen. I just I just started reading a book the other night that came out a few years ago and um and i found myself skipping almost every other paragraph because every other paragraph was like the and then as lacan would say this is very freudian i'm like i don't care just you know give me the fun stuff so um and once in a while i do i like to get really in depth and deep but i i I think that um there's an entire generation of people young people growing up and there's older people too that that don't learn the more traditional ways that we're taught in school. And, and, and the thing I absolutely love about comics is that um, I just had somebody tell me the other day, I got an email from someone, their, their daughter is like, was, is a remedial reader who, who doesn't read much, but just started reading comics and, and can't get enough comics. And I was like, of course, you know, like we all know this is something we know because we're, you know, we're a bunch of nerdlingers, but um, right. <laughs> I, I, so I, I have this, this love for the medium that, that the industry itself can't destroy. And, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see more uh, nonfiction graphic novels. I'd like to see, you know, getting into subject matters beyond just like biographies. Um, you know, there's, 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 there's nothing that you can't do in comics that that won't be more entertaining because it's in comics, right? Even even my right. my comic book history of the Bible is more interesting than the Bible, <clears throat> you know. So. <laughs> well, you can get super graphic because the Bible is violent as hell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> cut loose on some of that on a comic book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when does this come out? Can people pre-order it already? Or yeah, you it can be pre-ordered. It's coming out January nineteenth, twenty twenty one. Uh, the day before Trump officially is kicked out of the White House, so I feel like that's like a, a an awesome, 
thing. And, and um, I, 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 you know, I know people who, who sent copies of the Frederick Douglass book to him. I doubt he read them. I don't, I'm sure he doesn't. Well, he must know how to read because, well, no, he could just be speaking into his. Well, I mean, own. remember, he didn't know he was dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I know. But so anyway, uh, it comes out the day before Trump gets kicked out of the White House. And, you know, I, I'll, I'm, I'm nervous for sure. You know, I mean, there's still the, the beautiful thing about Frederick Douglass is I shouldn't say beautiful, but yeah, he's been dead for like nearly 200 years. So I, I did hear from some of his like great, great, great grandchildren who loved the book. But um you know, Bobby Seale's still alive and Kathleen Cleaver and Elaine Brown. And, and there's still a bunch of Panthers that are, are still alive who, you know, who knows how they're going to respond to this thing. I mean, if you're lucky, I mean, they're going to love it. But even if they like realize like, no, you got this shit wrong, yeah. you know, maybe instead of them just, you know, chewing you out, it's like an opportunity. Like, all right, well, let's have the dialogue. Let's write the follow-up book. If yeah. I got yeah. it wrong, tell mm-hmm. us how it was. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because there is a, a huge rift that occurred in, in the party around 72 or 73. Like, and it, like when I say rift, that's putting it lightly because people, people started dying. There was, there was like a lot of, you know, gunfights and, you know, here we are 40 plus years later, almost 50 years later. And those rivalries are still there. I, yeah. I know from talking to people that are like, you know, still like ready to throw down with somebody, but you know, they're in an old folks home. <laughs> that's so a, they can't, and that part of that's the basis of the was it Black Messiah, the movie? Oh that... yeah, the movie that's coming out that with um uh, I can't think of his name now. He was in Get Out and right. Le- 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 Keith Stanfield was in it too. Yeah, uh, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. That yep is um you know uh, originally when I wanted to when I had first talked about doing a Black Panther Party book, this was the story that I wanted to tell was the story that's in is in this movie Judas and the, and the Black Messiah. And and my publisher at the time, or my editor, excuse me, was concerned that it was such a specific story that it would be very difficult for people to get into it and, and understand the complexities and the nuance of it. And and I agreed to a certain extent. I, I also knew that, well, if I if I stuck to my guns on that particular subject, I wasn't going to get to do the book at all. So sure. I could I could include Fred Hampton and his story um, in it. And, and then if, you know, if an opportunity comes up, I could always do something um, more complex and, and, and about him and, and his life and his murder. But I also know that my experience has taught me now that that would have depressed the hell out of me. That's just like, <laughs> there, there, there's, that's a story where there really isn't a happy ending. Right. Well, we've only got a few minutes left with you here. So maybe we wrap it up with a happy ending. Okay. Um, Naomi's coming to TV, sir. That's what they say. That's what they say. <laughs> you I, and this, you and this other writer that I think I heard of. You know, yeah. he does some of them funny books. <laughs> Mister Bendis, right. Mr. Bendis. Yeah. Um, I. You know what? That's what his students call him, right? <laughs> they call him Doctor Bendis. He 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 demands that. Um, well, you know. You, so demanding. You know, you know some of the same people that I do, and and. Um, you know, there's there's a difference between something getting optioned, something going into development, and then something actually coming out, right? Mm-hmm. And I look at someone like Greg Rucka, who, um, you know, 
it's been a, a pretty significant year and a half for him. He had, you know, the Stumptown TV show come out. He had the Old Guard movie come out. But I've known Greg for nearly 20 years. So I've, I've seen how long some of this stuff has taken. And yeah. so as yeah, Those overnight as, successes take decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and so as excited as I am about the prospect of Naomi being a TV show on, on the CW, I also have to recognize the fact that, you know, it it may not happen, and and I, and I'm not trying to do the the um, super cynical. Oh, it's not going to happen. Whatever, like you know, because we all know people like that that, that poo poo on everything. Uh-huh. But it's 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 like you. I feel like you've got to temper it with um, with that. I guess the more realistic outlook. And and the the fact of the matter is is like until I get a chunk of money that allows me to change my zip code. You know, I'm not, I, I ain't counting on nothing, man. It's like, you're going to still see me driving the same old Prius that's, you know, in good shape, but it ain't perfect. And, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I won't have a personal valet yet. As soon as I have that money, you'll know. Cause oh, yeah, I go. Sure. there'll be someone, they'll take my, put my mask on for me. I'm going to be very much like Morris Day in the time with Jerome. He's going someone, to, someone's going to carry a mirror and everything. Someone, someone will pick up your killer burger for you. You won't have to go out and get it like a commoner. Um, you know, I I haven't eaten a killer burger in so long. I, I, I Maybe I'll go get something to go. That's the thing. I hate to go. I hate getting food to go. I like to, because then I got to wash dishes and shit at home. You know what I'm saying? So I You mean like you don't eat them out of the container, just like straight out of the packaging like an animal? Well... See, I've gotten a little bit older, a little bit more sophisticated. Um, no, I'm lying to you. I do straight out of the <laughs> I container. Like, I was like, oh, <laughs> how much older do I need to get to get out of that phase? <laughs> but I, 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 you know, I do. I just like, there's something, especially going to Killer Burger where they're always blasting Van Halen and Motorhead. And, um, and I realize like, I, I, I haven't been there in a year. You know, I know I haven't been there since uh, since the new year, and and like I miss my killer burger. I think I'm going to go there tomorrow. I think the last time I saw you in person, we gra- we were gra- we bought we grabbed lunch together at a killer yeah, burger. The problem like over was in, in in Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's kind of <laughs> it, it's it's all crazy. But I also think that there's um, I'm trying to find the opportunities that are that are. Um, that are presenting themselves. And and I think in the comics industry, we have to, we got like, we've had to think outside the box for a long time, but now we definitely need to think outside the box. Yeah. What they just released at Kickstarter is now the biggest comic publisher ever. Oh, like, the I numbers, the that. numbers they did in 2020 were like 8 billion, like an obscene yeah. amount of money for just comic projects. And, and the thing too is like, like I'm diehard now. I'm a diehard Kickstarter proponent. And, and I know there's some problems with like, more established publishers going to that well. Sure. But um, I, who was I talking to about this? I was talking to someone the other day and, and I said, you know, if, if you do a book through image or boom or, or any other publisher um, and, and you move a thousand units, that book is a failure and you owe those people money. <laughs> you go to Kickstarter and you move 400 units, you're doing okay. You know, uh-huh. you, you, you know, Marvel, their threshold for, for royalties has not changed in, in like God knows how long. 
I want to say you have to move something like, I want to say it's 80,000 units before you earn royalties on, yeah. on, a, on a comic, right? Well, I can tell you, this is, this is not an exaggeration. All the titles I wrote for Marvel, I've written one comic book for Marvel, one that I, I got royalties on. And that was um, the first issue of Power Man and Iron Fist. And that was because they did uh, a, a variant for, uh, for C2E2, for Read Pop. And so Read Pop bought so many units that, that it pushed me over, pushed us over <clears throat> into the royalty zone. But I've never gotten a royalty check ever for any comics that I've ever written. And it's like, and, and, and you, you start to realize like um, if you go to a smaller publisher, they're not going to give you a particularly good page rate. And, and, and you're fighting for shelf space and retailers. And, and, and I'm not saying Kickstarter is the only way to go, but it's, it's pretty, um, it, it's, it's a pretty smart way to go. If you, if you, go into it properly and i think big, a big part of it is is understanding that it actually is a community that there's mm-hmm. a community mm-hmm. mindset to it and yeah. um and 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 it's it's not that different than you know if i go to emerald city emerald city comic-con there's people who show up there who only buy stuff from me when i go to emerald city when i'm at WonderCon, there's people who only buy stuff from me at anaheim well we're not going there anymore we're not doing yeah. those things for the time being and um you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because it's like, don't fight it. <laughs> you know, you got to lean into it. Otherwise we're, we're all screwed, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know what? That's some pretty good advice to end, end our little chat with, man. Yeah. Well, no, thanks for having me. You know, I, I, uh, I know I talk too much, but um, that's, uh, yeah. If they put up with me, you don't talk too much. <laughs> yes, you're fine. I was going to say, you asked me to be on here, man. <laughs> no, yes. it was really good to see you again. We got to have you on again. Hopefully, you know, it'll be less than a year in a pandemic or whatever. Yeah, no, it's it's good to see everybody. It's, it is. It's a very, um, it's, this is so weird, you know? I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, there's Cable. Look at him. And he's clean shaven. How? Why? What's the point? You know? Or do you go out and you have to? You go to work, right? I go to work. I'm still like uh, everyone's been talking about. It's like, oh, quarantine this and quarantine that. I'm like, I have no idea what that was like at all because I have been out every day, regardless. Well, I'm the lucky weirdo who got to leave their job and still make money for uh-huh. a couple months. I was going to say, I got to leave job. Oh, but then I didn't get any more money. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, I hope you all are doing well and, and, and hanging tough. So I will, uh, I'll talk to you all in the new year. Thanks for having me on. It yeah, you bet. Good. We'll link to the good book to and stuff you. when the show goes up. Oh, that's right. Nice. Yeah, live live long and prosper. prosper. Yeah. All right. Take care, man. Take care. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a perfect spot to take a little break and talk about our sponsors. First up, Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Uh, if any of the books that David Walker talked about sound interesting to you, uh, or if you want to pre-order your copy of the graphic novel history of the Black Panther Party, you can do that, I'm assuming, at Bridge City Comics. Yeah, they, yeah, they can get that one. Um, If you're curious about the show, uh, uh, Naomi, that got optioned by CW, uh, co-created by David Walker and Brian Michael Bendis, that I know for sure is at Bridge City Comics. So what I'm saying is that this town is 
packed with amazing creative comic book storytellers, and they all have a spot at Bridge City Comics. So check them out. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. You can also order online for out of our out-of-town listeners at BridgeCityComics.com. But either way, when you're there online or in face-to-face, thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. And then, before we get back to the show, we want to give a big thanks to Guardian Games. They have been our longest sponsor, our biggest supporter. Find them at 345 Southeast 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 Taylor Street. They are easier than ever to get to. Doesn't matter bike, foot, car, uh, rail system. Like literally, there's like a, a like a streetcar stop, like a block and a half away from Guardian Games. So it's super easy to find them. And you know, we're gonna spend a lot of this winter indoors, so there's not gonna be a lot of going out and entertaining ourselves. So Guardian Games has everything you need to make sure that you will stay entertained while indoors. Doesn't matter, uh, card games, dice games, role-playing games, board games, or maybe you just want to, you know, put together a puzzle to kind of calm your mind. Or like me, I'm getting back into nerdy miniature diorama painting. Get your supplies now before we all kind of lock in for the winter and do it at Guardian Games. You can also order stuff online at guardiangames.com. Either way, give them a big old thanks for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. And before we get back to it, a huge shout out to RevNat of Reverend Nat's Hard Cider for making sure we have the right equipment to continue to record this fine show within our respective homes. So if you find yourself a little parched and you're at the store, you know, look for the, look for the good reverend on his labels now. And, um, Drink it. <laughs> and then, well, you know what? Really quick before I get back to, a quick little shout out to our friends at Asylum over there on Hawthorne Boulevard across from the Hollywood Theater. They've got their limited hours right now, but they are open. And you know what? They always have some of the great last minute gift ideas. Or maybe you want to do some redecorating while you're locked inside for a while. Asylum will hook you up with that too. And now, for reals, back to the show. That was cool to chat with them. Indeed. It it has been a year since I've seen him. Yeah. Like, I yep. see him online, but it's not oh. the same thing. I actually just realized that the last time I saw David Walker was the last time I went out to a thing, like to an event. Uh, I just bumped into him at um, uh, the Crystal Ballroom. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. It was It was like the last second to last thing I went to I went to like one more small thing that same week but like that was a concert where then the next stop was Seattle and I think they actually ended up canceling it and the, the you know the rest of the tour like later that same week it was right on the cusp of just everything hitting the fan yeah so what else should we roll into we can do we got double disco and double mando, or we can nerd out for a bit about Chris Pine in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. See, and I heard this news, but someone said it was Chris Evans, so it's actually Chris Pine. Chris Pine. It's Chris Pine, and okay. I, I'll, I'll drop the um, I'll drop the link in here. Uh, Variety is the one who shared it out. I have a weird feeling that he's got a certain movie, a number of movie contracts with Paramount. Or maybe just Paramount's the one who owns the rights to D and D, and who doesn't love Chris Pine? I mean, 
I people cool. do who don't understand what he actually brings to his roles. Like he's a. I think everyone's hung up on Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth, and they forget about Chris Pine. Well, I saw and, people talking about how uh, Chris Evans is the uh, is the himbo of the MCU. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Uh, I'm pretty sure it just it's it's just like a the male version of bimbo. Yeah, but again, what what <laughs> does that mean? What is their criteria? Also, why are we still using the word bimbo? <laughs> think i ever use the word seriously bimbo. i mean not why seriously. are we using the word bimbo the word like, bimbo to me means bread so i got that's, nothing that's, i can't explain yeah. it is that is it uh bimbo uh-huh fun bimbo uh, fun bimbo, fun bimbo. Yeah. Mm. Uh, which is basically mexican wonder bread for for anyone which means, out there wondering. which means it's wonder bread but with more sugar <laughs> so uh, it, we're all gonna die of heart disease it's like not uh, if the beat us gets us first hawaiian sweetbread oh nothing tops that that okay. no it's not that sweet. it's not that sweet it sounds like it's more like the big square very specifically square loaves of thick sliced bread that you get in japan too I'm about to say it's a less eggy version of the square bread you get in japan okay similar so, flavor but so, the consistency is different because they use more eggs okay so Japanese more eggs, uh, Mexicans more sugar. Yeah, the sweet okay. the, the the sweetness level is kind of the same. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm, now I want to do an egg salad sandwich taste test with just all the different, you know, all the all, the all like breads. the top shelf mayo, the top shelf breads, Compa- and go and no, put it up against. I mean, Wonder Bread, it's the standards. Put up Wonder Bread, Bamibo, and then I don't know whatever brand. There's, I'm sure there's multiple brands of the ones that they do in wow. Japan. Sure. Geek in the City has not done a taste test uh, we haven't. In, a, in a number of years. So I feel like the U.S. Well, okay, damn. Now here's where we're people like really mad at us. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm. I feel like with Japan, you've got to use Kewpie mayo. But if you're going to... If you're testing the bread, then everything else should be the same. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, okay, if you so, want to just have fun and be like egg salad sandwich, American style, Japanese themed, not style, I, I would say, but like themed because of the ingredients and then like a Mexican themed one. Well, I've never had a Mexican themed egg salad sandwich unless by I, default yeah, I, whatever, I, whatever I, I make is one but I don't think like I'm gonna make this Mexican style right right well, well it would be it would be bun bimbo yeah and um what else what else would make it more Mexican sriracha you could put some sriracha or Tabasco mm-hmm. in your egg salad mix um see I just thought maybe finely chopped uh jalapenos because I put that in my tuna salad sure. all the time um, but then that requires that you allow something to go into the Japanese and the American one also. And that, right. And that's why, like, no, let's let's go back oh, to the just like the bread challenge. Okay, if we do the the Mexican one, it's the mayo with the lime because that's the that's kind of the you never had that. Oh, man! Look at that I'm, face. That I, face I look of at disgust. I look at mayonnaise as a necessary evil to begin with. Like, I I only use it as needed. I don't like. I don't seek it out for pleasure. So right. the last thing I need is for you to start throwing in extra flavors in it. Like I, <laughs> I actually hate salad dressing, you know, like a, what's that brand? Um, Miracle Whip? 
Miracle Whip, yeah. Miracle Whip is like even more gross and weird. I don't understand it. I, I think Miracle Whip ha- has a very specific demographic of the American populace they get. Yes. And that's people from most the of the South. people. I think so. The what? The people from the South. It's big in the South. Yeah. yeah. That's what that's what I've under, come to understand. Because everything in the South is sweet. Everything. Yep. Just like that was that what's that joke? You know, well, how sweet is a sweet tea? Till it's sweet enough. <laughs> you know, that's Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's there's like a trick to it though. It's not just about a bunch of sugar. There's you feel nope. like te- you have to temper it in and uh, yeah no but but miracle whip isn't sweet it's like tangy yep yeah almost as though it were like mayonnaise with lime in it no it's different it, yeah i don't know it's what different. the tang in miracle whip is i don't care for it though not not a fan of the miracle oh, miracle the tang in miracle so norm whip says- is like what happens if you mix uh, bread and butter pickle juice to mayonnaise. Uh, uh. I mean, look, it's all semantics because the Japanese exile is going to win. The only one that's going to come close is an American one made with Duke's mayo. Like, that's the only one that's going to put up a fighting chance. Yeah, because uh, egg salad is going to use keeping uh, mayonnaise. You're right. Yeah. Um, trying to think of what specifically they would put in it. While you're thinking about that, Norm uh, is recommending for the the Mexican themed uh, egg salad sandwich, jalapenos, cilantro, cotija cheese. Yeah, but but then we have to allow the Japanese and the American one to add stuff to theirs too. Right. Just no. I'm just I'm just sharing that. No, I know. I get it. I don't. I don't know. I think that that there would be one specific ingredient that would be like you make the American one. You make all of the egg salads egg salad similarly, but the American one also has. Uh, chopped up sweet pickles and the Mexican one has jalapenos and for fuck's sake, what would, what would be in the Japanese one? Um, it would have to do more with texture than with flavor. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm like the, the I easy mean, I route will... is, is, uh, uh, you would sprinkle in some, um, Oh man! I was about to say it. Fuba, it's a fuya. It's a Fu- uh, futomaki. Yeah. Futomaki. Mm. I put that Fu- on. No, it not futomaki. Furokake. Furokake. There it is. I have three different flavors of that because they have different styles now. Oh yeah. And yeah. by the way, that shit is gold on a hot dog. Yep. I'm gonna get some. I don't yeah. have any. Furokake oh. and then um, on a tuna open, salad. Yeah, that would be good. Mm. I think uh, the furokake that we have has uh, freeze dried salmon bits in it. Ooh, how did, how did like Chris Pine a... inspire a conversation about egg salad sandwiches? Oh, mayonnaise. Himbo, bimbo. Himbo, himbo <laughs> bimbo. Egg salad sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay, yeah, well. Chris Pine, D&D movie. Yes, so uh, variety you, release. You guys that. chat. I have to go refresh my drink. And by refresh, I mean get my very first one. So here's the bummer is the the article or what, okay. whatever you want to call it that released this information uh really doesn't actually say that much about it. It just says that he's in negotiations with Paramount to star in a D&D adaptation. Um, and it mentions the people who are uh, going to be like helming this. Um, they're best known, apparent, apparently, according to Variety, they're best known for their movie Ga- Game Night. Uh, yeah, which for- has less to do with games. 
than it's, anything else. It's a rom-com, isn't it? Yes. I, I just assumed. It's Rachel it's a, McAdams and Jason it's, Bateman. It's, it's a rom-com slash black comedy. Because the, the whole concept of di- their game night is it's usurped by an actual crime mm. that they are somehow involved in that they think is part of an extreme game night that they're playing, you know, they're, they're playing like an immersive uh, crime game. Gotcha. Um, I mean, in no, that case... I haven't watched it. I'm based solely on the trailers that I've seen. I mean, in that case, uh, Issa Rae and... Um, is it Hari Kondabulu? No. What is his name? Kumail Nanjani. Uh, Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjani did a, a rom-com that uh, gets where the, the situation gets sort of overthrown by a crime. So if you want to watch a movie about that, that's yeah. probably a better recommendation. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name of the movie now. Lovebirds. Uh, yes. Thank you. I, I forgot I didn't actually see the title. Uh, we're being derailed again by just comments about this this movie, this Dungeons and Dragons movie. Which, like, this comes back down to, like, okay, great, you've announced Chris Pine, but you're not addressing the elephant in the room, which is what the hell is your D and D movie about? How That's the hell a, yeah. do you make a D and D movie about anything? Because D and D is about everything. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like, like, I don't like, I know they tried that live action one, what, 15 years ago. And it's bad. It's so bad. Yeah. Um, oh, you guys, the Hollywood reporter explains Plot details are being kept under the chain mail. God damn it. And you know what? Hollywood reporter, you're fired. Yeah, you're reporters quit trying. Fucking fired. Uh, yeah, I gave up long- on trying to find anything about this news. Remember the- how long it took uh, news reporters to not write Biff Bam Pow whenever they wrote about comics? No, I don't because they still do it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I don't read those ones anymore. It's never stopped. Oh. It is never stopped. So I feel like you could go a couple routes with a D&D movie. I think the one that would be hardest to pull off, ah, man, it'd be so hard, but I feel like you could do some weird kind of meta thing that shows how the fantasy escapism and storytelling and uh, exploring character within yourself helps you in the real world. You know, it helps, you know, people that maybe don't feel like they can be social anywhere else, but on the gaming table, they just come alive. There's something to be done with that. That's not an easy script. And Mm -hmm. it's not, and it requires everyone to be in on, this is what we're trying to do, because it becomes parody really quickly. It becomes lightning bolt, lightning bolt, like, way too easily. I think a really good example of how you can do that would be Karen Gillan's Die. Yeah, where, that's an where idea, the yeah. like the 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 attraction of the story is the the fantasy realm, but the the real story is that that outer foil about you know how these hardships and the, all this trauma has messed up these people. They might have they might have been you know just regular kids when it all started, but now they're these dysfunctional adults. Yeah, well, and that that actually is I think the modern equivalent of what. I was going to suggest, which is 
you don't do a movie, you do a television series and you adapt the D and D cartoon from the eighties. <laughs> because that's what die is. Die is a grown up version of that. It's, it's it's what happened to them afterwards. Yep. Yeah. But it, it it's kids getting you know, like the premise of the television shows, they get on a ride to go in Dungeons and Dragons. Who the hell would make a dark ride of Dungeons and Dragons? Seriously, that the one thing I found the least plausible with that whole cartoon wasn't the realm of Dungeons and Dragons, but was that someone in the real world invested money to make a D and D roller coaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was a dark ride. It was a dark ride, though, not a not a roller coaster. That's true. What exactly is a dark ride? A uh, dark ride is uh, you're in a car with it that's on a track, and it rolls yeah. through a big, giant, dark building that has pop-ups. Technically, Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, Mr. Toad, those are all dark rides. Uh, that yep. one in Enchanted They're... Village where you shoot the... Um, the Challenge of Mordor! Yeah. yeah! Yep. Okay, I did not know that those were called that. That that's what it's called. Uh, look up the history of dark rides if you ever want to fall down a very fun rabbit hole. Ooh, because I you would... will discover that one person was responsible for like seventy percent of the dark rides in North America. No kidding. Ooh, Ooh, I'm definitely going to dump down that rabbit hole. And that uh, and he he got that gig basically because he was doing. Parade floats and windows for Macy's, and someone went, "Hey, can you build this?" He's like, "I don't see why I couldn't." That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, I no, I agree, Cable. That would be a really fun way to go about it, or uh, be, because then it gives you six characters, six yeah. characters, um, an antagonist, um, the weird old dude that gives you information, weekly adventures. Uh, People can T- learn things. Tiamat. Yep. Oh, man. If they ended every episode with an actual PSA also. <laughs> yeah. um, I was thinking a, a movie series, a la Hobbit of the uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, but your, a series would allow for a lot more fleshing out. It's such a huge universe. Yeah. I think, if you, I think if you do movies, then you have to have a different set of characters. Um and then you, if you do a movie series, then it's, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, Descent into Avernus, and that campaign. Dungeons and Dragons, The Rhyme of Icewind Dale. Like, it has can you, to can be. You make that, that, can you make a campaign be one movie, effectively? Probably. Yeah. There, but that, it would be actually, three hours long. That's the thing I would bring up next. Is that, but that, that requires, like, a pretty sizable investment from the studio to say, like, we're going to do three movies. By the way, each one's going to have different characters every single time. Because we're going to adapt the most popular D and D campaigns of all time and turn them into movies. You can't really turn some of the more popular books, as I'm assuming there would be other rights involved. Like you couldn't do a Drist movie because you probably have to deal with Salvatore in some way. You can't do Dragonlance for similar reasons. Yep. I mean, I don't know who owns what, but you could 100% do uh, Waterdeep, the Dragon Heist. That's your D and D heist movie. Well, they do, that's not more than that. That's fantasy meets Ocean's Eleven. You could that could be a fucking blast if you do it. But right. but then the the problem that you run up against in trying to get investors and a studio on board with this is letting them know it's like if we screw this up, 
every D&D nerd out there, and there are a lot of them, because D&D is more popular than it has ever been, yeah. will crucify you. And you will get negative reviews before the movie's even out, and it'll kill your box office. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you have more in the pipe. It'll be dead on arrival. And I think the... Like, even if you get everything right, you're still going to run into... Yeah, that wasn't how I ran my campaign. I did something better. You never make everyone happy. Yep. Not not with this. I mean, like, right. that's a general truth, but very specifically when you're talking about making D&D, yep. live action, anything. But yeah. if you if you do enough to get the fee, the spirit of it right and then contain the right amount of elements to get everyone who's never played D&D before in the, into that theater, then you win. But that's a huge gamble. Yeah, as long as you're honest with the spirit, too. And you, you throw the long-term fans a couple of shout-outs in terms of visual things or, uh-huh. you know. Um, uh, if you want to... If you want to do it in a way that you make sure that you get a lot of D&D fans on board from the get-go, your first film is you adapt um, the campaign that... Uh, the critical sorry, Role folks? You do or? Wild Mind. You do Critical Role. Yeah. yeah. You do well, that, that group. And I would suggest even if you don't do that, you definitely talk to those folks about being in your writer's room. Oh, yeah. And on your production team. Yep. It's like why it took the movie industry like 20 years to realize like, hey, we want to do these comic movies. Maybe we should actually hire the people that have been telling these stories for decades mm-hmm. to help us out. You know. And there's there are a lot more people in Hollywood that are doing D&D like, that are bigger names that actually have clout that could do something with it. Like, you know, Deborah Ann Wall is big in D&D. Right. And does a lot of the celebrity D&D stuff as well as her own private D&D stuff. Yeah. And people are like, oh, wait, I know her from Daredevil and True Blood. And <laughs> and I'm sorry, fans, but you might have to leave Vin Diesel out of this one. I like the guy, but let's That's not fine. let him. Let's not let him. He can show up. Sure. <laughs> he already got to do his D&D movie. Literally. He got to do Witch Fighter. Yeah, I was going to say, did, didn't he do that one? Yeah. That literally based on his campaign. Mm-hmm. Which, look, not a good movie, but I kind of give it to... I got to give it to an artist who's like, you know what, I'm going to turn my campaign into a movie. You know what? Good for you. Go for it. Um, Dame Judy Dench. That's what I, I was thinking. It was Judy Bring Dench. her in. Uh, definitely Joe Manganiello. Yeah. Um, fuck. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, who, who's the guy that we've been talking about recently? Um, Lillard. Bring in Matthew Lillard. Oh, Matthew Lillard. I don't yeah. know if he likes to act anymore. Who says anything about asking? Put him in the writer oh, room. Put him in the writer, producer's chair. In the Put him behind yeah. the camera. No, you're right. That's a good idea. Like if he directed that, um, I if Matthew Lillard directed a and d movie, I would go watch it. Yes. And get folks like Keith Baker to help you out on the world. Like if you're not going to base it on an established <laughs> setting – Bring in someone like Keith Baker to be like, we need you help. We need you to help us create an air of authenticity to what we are making. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be like, let's just hire some fantasy folks to do that nerd shit. Like, don't do that. But people—that's what have... the first D and D movie did, and it shows. Uh, 
whoever's in Hollywood have, would have to know to reach out to these people. I, I would also pay money to watch a Dungeons and Dragons uh, Eberron movie. Hell yeah. And, I'd, and see, Eberron, and I would want to. Eberron, I want as a show. Oh, yeah. But, like, give, uh, give Keith Baker some of that sweet, sweet consultant money. Because <laughs> he, he'll just take it and use it to fund more games that he decides he wants to <laughs> yeah. make. Also, I know I know a podcast with three hosts that would be really good consultants on it too. Well, at least two really good consultants. I'm all right. <laughs> you have your strengths. I would have said you two are probably the better of the three. No, you're an active player in D and D. You guys discredit yourself way too much. I'm an active player, but I I don't have that like DM brain, and I also just don't I don't have that like all around just like game mechanics i mean I, I, not to say that game mechanics are necessarily that important when you're mm-hmm. converting to live action you know whatever but but just understanding games and rules and mechanics is important and cable definitely beats me in that category and i am trying to uh, deprogram myself from the constant male reaction of like oh sure i can totally do that thing because i'm a dude it's right. Like, no, I should I should know what my actual skill set is and where it is applicable and where it is helpful. As and I, to, as, yeah. as the woman, I'm like, no, no, it's that's fine. You're probably better at that than me. And I'm the one's like, let's just all do it. Woo! <laughs> that would be fine. You're the, you're definitely the Pollyanna of the three of us. Oh. That's the nicest things anyone said to me in a long time. Pollyanna's that's good, right? That's not, I yes. mean, it means like it's a they're a they're a positive kind of silver lining. I, was, I know. I'm just, I just yeah. I was trying to think like sometimes Pollyanna's used used as an insult, and I refuse to accept it this time. Uh, Pollyanna is used as an insult by people who have no soul and are the their only personality and character trait is that they're a cynic, and so that is not a personality oof. trait. And I'm not a cynic. I, I'm a misanthrope. That's true. No, no, I almost said somebody else's name, and I would have had to have bleeped it. Don't do that. <laughs> no, we're not getting into this. Would have had to have bleeped it. No. But what if we instead got into um, Star Trek? Uh, what, what do we call it? Star Trekking? Star, tra- uh, star, star Talk. Star Talking. Star Talking. We don't have two episodes of Mando to talk about. We just have one. No, that's right. We didn't talk about anything last week except right. we just rambled on and on with with uh, Nat. Nat, yeah, yeah. So we've got we've got two Mando and two Disco. Oh, I Mando think Disco. I think we just stick with the two episodes of Mando because last week's episode of Disco was. A, part one of a two-parter so. right and we'll talk That's about it next point. week yeah. yeah because i think next week is greg and Lindsay. yeah and we can right. all talk about that stuff yeah uh, are they going to talk about D next week all right well uh, maybe the- they're either going to do another um archetype or if we've done them all which i think we might have we might have finished that then we're just going to do the deep dive into tasha's oh you're right. That's what we were going to do. I think we were going to talk Tasha's. By the way, Bean, have you been through. have you been reading it more? I've been skimming through it, but um, isn't it just so pretty looking? It's go- the art is amazing. Yeah, that and uh, I think the two best books they put out this year has been 
Icewind Dale and Tasha. Those two books are gorgeous. I'm I'm really glad that I, I made the effort to get my hands on the the variant cover. Yeah. Uh, thanks, 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 Guardian Games. You're welcome. It yeah, wasn't Guardian. I mean, it was nope. Guardian Games. It was me. <laughs> I, still need, I still need to write Guardian Games. The year is almost over. Yes, you do. Please I do that. Numbers are hard I, to get. I do give you the sole credit for that cable, but I also do not want to imply to all of our listeners that they should contact you directly if they, you know, are trying to get a hold of something difficult to get. Uh, I I can't. Well, I can't make that magic happen all the time for everybody. I can say that. And you can just add this with the plug for Guardian Games this week. If if you are a gamer and you know you've heard about something and you know it's coming out and you know it's months ahead, talk to your friendly local game store and make a special order so that you end up on a list before yes. it gets announced and before it sells out. Yes. This goes this goes also for comic book shops. Comic book shops, uh game stores and any specialized retailer please please go into your friendly local comic shop game store what have you and let them know ahead of time that you want that you are interested in a thing here's why if the 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 store is going to buy 12 of a thing not knowing that there are 18 people who are interested in it or 24 people who are interested in it, they're just going to buy the 12 but if those 24 people come in and go, hey, I heard this is coming out in three months. I want that. Then instead of buying 12, we buy 48 because clearly right. we want to get that 24 for those people. And then we go, well, this is going to be bigger than we thought it was. And we buy an additional so that we have stuff on the shelf for other people to discover it. And then we have special orders that are already taken care of. That means you come in and yours is already taken care of. Similar thing happens with uh, comic books. The, the kind of the rule that used to be, unless it's a big release you think is going to be huge, mm-hmm. it was always uh, pull boxes plus five. That was mm-hmm. kind of what I was always told to do. How many subscribers we got? Well, we got 23. All right, then I'm ordering 28. Every once in a while, I was like, well, you'll get a deal if you do a round number and they'll kick in the variant. All right, I'm doing 30. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but um, the the level of interest indicates a sample size of what projected sales are expected to be. So for every, every one person that says, Hey, are you going to have this? That's probably a total of five people who are actually interested and will want to buy it. Yeah. Like I know that after the second week of so many people calling in going, Hey, there's this new D book called Tasha's coming out. And I think they're going to have a special cover. I want to get it. Like after the second week of that, of getting like two or three people a day doing that, our buyer went, oh, okay, I'm now going to max out our allocations at every single distributor that I have that I can get this book at Yeah, because I want to be the store that has all of them. And didn't you say like this is one of the best-selling books they've done? Like the numbers were like crazy on it or is we it the variants or – we sold out of both. We had a hundred of each cover, and we sold out of them within the first twenty-four hours. Damn. Why do you think that is? Is it something about the book itself, or it just is, the current environment? It's the book. It's it's both. It, yeah. It's a lot of things. Like one D and D books are a, seem to be an evergreen thing that sell. It's why we have moved them to 
the front of the store so that when people go in, like, I'm looking for D&D. Oh, it's right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, like, stocked appropriately. Like, there's at least five of every book on the shelves at all time. Um, starter kits, all of that. Um, it's people are stuck inside because of the pandemic, so they do a lot of reading. Like, the book sales have increased greatly mm-hmm. because that's like hey i may not be able to play this with my friends but i'm going to study up and start working on stuff for when we can campaign again like there's a lot of that going on and also um, a well-written like, source I'm doing the same thing enjoyable to read yes mm. yes you know <laughs> um, but one wouldn't know that until they had read it so right but with with tasha's it was the content it like and aaron has spoken about this before the content of tasha's was such that it was full of um, information that longtime D and D players went. Ooh, I remember these characters. I remember yeah. this information. Now they finally updated it for Five E. I totally need that for all. And it, it's designed not only for dungeon masters but also players. Mm-hmm. Most of the books that come out are designed for the DM. Like the one book that everyone gets is the player's handbook. Yeah, and then that's it. The DM has to buy the other. Uh, all the other books because their campaign settings or their guides or their, you know, tomes of uh, monsters, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. This was for both. Right. This was both yeah. DMs and players. That's and, and, probably the biggest contributor then. Yeah. And for, I mean, for me personally, part of it, I was reading some of the content that I knew was going to come down the pipe, but like a cable had mentioned, I've been playing D and D since I was 12 <laughs> years old and everyone who played D and D that long like we know Mordenkainen and Elminster, we like we know like the big guns of wizards, as it were, I guess. Volo. But we also but we also all knew Tasha by the spells, and simply because it was it still is, but then was even such a more so male dominated industry. No one wrote about women, <laughs> um, so Tasha was all this like, who the fuck is this Tasha? She has these weird ass spells. Every once in a while in the fiction, they mention her in passing. And it's always like Elminster will mention like, well, there was that one time we, you know, when uh, we had to team up with Tasha and I don't want to talk about how that went down. (laughs) She was always like written as this person that if she got involved, you were, you were in deep shit either because you needed her help or she was coming after you. So the character itself had this mystique. So when they said, Hey, we're putting a book out by her. I was like, Oh, Yay! You know, and it doesn't disappoint. I love it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So there it is. Yes. Very good. Uh, back to Mandalorian. <laughs> back to a galaxy far, far away. Uh, so, so what were the past two? It was the last week's episode was um, the. We didn't. I guess we really didn't talk about this on the show last week. Last week's ep- or two weeks ago was the, the, the return of the tragedy. Boba, yeah, the tragedy. Yeah, that's it. And the return of Boba Fett mm-hmm. to canon as the actual badass that we have been told that he was for Fucking decades. Finally. And then well, last sorry, we week, talked about this, we talked about this hanging out, so I'm confusing. I was like, yeah, yeah, we did. Like, no, wait, that was just us goofing off. Yep. And then last week was the Believer, which was the redemption of Bill Burr's mayfield character which i didn't see coming at all you didn't see coming me neither oh oh my god well okay 
should we should we touch on the tragedy first? Let's let's talk about the tra- like let's let's do high points for the tragedy. What what was your high point? Uh, for me personally, um, action scenes were beautifully shot. It was it was mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez, uh, which by the way, seeing Robert Rodriguez do Star Wars that was pretty dope. Um, Can't wait for him to do more. <laughs> I um, I never look ahead at uh, who has directed something, and so I didn't either. That was like a fun little. Oh, by the way, at the end uh, with yeah. with that episode. Well, there was like some camera work, but like my old film nerd brain was like, "This is, this feels familiar." Wait, that jumping through the air shooting that feels familiar too. Mm-hmm. And then the name comes up. It's like, "Oh shit!" It's because this is El Mariachi in space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, for me, uh, the highlight was really just. Um, I mean, tomorrow Morrison was awesome, but. He could have been anybody and acted that those scenes and it would have been amazing. The thing that makes it resonate with me is that, and this is, I know this has been all over the internet, but Boba Fett finally got to be a badass on screen. Like Mm -hmm. now there's some actual legitimacy to his hype. Yes. And that's been a point of contention for me for many years. So that was a very, it's been a very, it was a very, um, What's the word? It was some nerd well, shit. You know what I mean. Yeah. It, it was um, not gratifying. But, gratifying. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I do like that. Um, pardon me. Uh, Morrison, like he intentionally, he must have spoken Rodriguez and the stunt coordinator. His, his fighting was intentionally made to look like uh, Maori fighters. And even the gaffy stick, that was apparently one of his ideas that Boba Fett would keep the gaffy stick. He wouldn't just go back to his guns. And that was apparently one of Morrison's calls because it reminded him of some of the weapons that his ancestors would have used. And he's like, nope, going to do it. Like, I waited for him to break out into a hockey when that shit was over. Mm-hmm. He had um, lots of faces during that fight scene where he was out without his armor that felt very much like uh, like they were close to Hakka faces. Yeah. Um, I had heard that they built some of the Stormtrooper outer armor out of sugar glass. Mm-hmm. So that you could see it just getting fucking pummeled, which was, just that was pretty Shattered righteous. everywhere. Yes. He messed um, those guys up. Yeah. I, I think my favorite article that I read about that was, and I mean favorite by, I mocked it because they were talking about the fact that, um, they didn't do any close-up shots of the, uh, who was under the helmet. It's like, you know, because it probably would have freaked Boba Fett out after, you know, breaking off that helmet and seeing his own face. It's like, those are stormtroopers, not clone troopers. You you don't actually know what you're talking about. Yeah, you're not It's like you're writing a Star Wars right. article. Yeah. It's like, God. really? stormtroopers that, that are there? not clones. Yeah. It's like, stormtroopers are not clones. Like that's like some of the laziest writing ever. Yes, yes, it was. That's why I mocked it. Wow, so I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, I think uh, I'll nerd shame so-called professionals that don't know sure. their shit. Um, there is so much that I loved about the episode, but I think that at the end of the day, my my favorite takeaway is the fact that not only was it the return of Boba Fett, but it was the fact that these two characters that they introduced reintroduced both of them um, 
were Fennec Shand and Boba Fett as an, like this is an Asian American and Pacific Islander teamed right. up together on screen. And it's like this, this, I want more of this in my star Wars to help because another, brown, to help stuff. another Brown person save the green baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like um, oh, I'm going to pour one out for the poor Rager crest. Like you just got it fixed oh, up. Oh my God. Yes. There was a lot of shouting in my house when that happened. There's apparently a huge amount of backlash. Like, um, you can't see it. It's on a higher shelf. But my right. razor, the the Lego Razor Crest. Apparently, people have been angrily canceling their orders for the Lego Razor Crest set and for any Why? toys. Presumably because they weren't buying it because they enjoy a thing. They were buying it so they could resell it. Oh, now it's not worth money because you blew it up. That doesn't even make sense. It still existed. It's still part of the canon. It's still a cool ship. Yeah, mine's full of Mandalorians. Like, I have other Mandalorian figures inside of the Razor Crest with... Um, that would be the same as Din if people Jar. didn't want their um, their bombers. So, you know, we've got the, the episode... What is that? Episode... Is it... Eight or seven High bombers, or the the resistance bombers. The resistance bombers. That's the last Jedi. Well, people don't want anything to do with the last Jedi because they're, you know, they didn't want to be told that no, it would no. it would the Hold best on. Jedi is a woman and anyone can be a Jedi. That you would, don't have to be. A but Skywalker. that would be like Star Trek fans like having to like. Well, now I can't enjoy my Enterprise toys because they blow that fucker up like every third movie these days. Yep. Like, you know what? I got a shelf of ships that have been blown up. <laughs> you broke your There's a lot of ships. things that people shouldn't want. Uh, oh, whatever. This is this is one of the problems of capitalism. Yes, it ruins my Star Wars. Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. Um, Although I so, will admit, I was more emotionally bummed out. Like I knew the child. I had a good idea the child was going to get kidnapped eventually. Oh yeah. But losing the Rage of Crafts, I was like, oh, oh, no. Yeah, that hurt more. Yeah. I, I like that he, he was still able to salvage the, the control knob. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the Beskar spear. That's going to get stuck somewhere that's not going to be pretty. I hope that just goes through <laughs> Gideon's fucking heart. Just shank. See, I used to, up until all of the announcements um, from Disney last week, yeah, I I was I would have put money that they were going to kill Gideon at the end of this season so that they could bring on Thrawn for season three, but with the announcements, I'm like I don't think that's where they're going. I think Thrawn is going to be the big background character, big bad background all, character for yeah Mandalorian, Ahsoka, and yeah. Rangers of the New Republic. Yeah, so is Gideon, made, yes. Mm-hmm. Like he's this- going to be their emperor. Essentially, it'll be so that they can combine all three shows and do Heir to the Empire. Their own version of Heir to the Empire. Yeah, you know, the only thing that really bums me out is that we know what happens with the three movies that come up. It, it, on a meta level, we know that Thrawn does not prevent a big enough threat that gets the Republic. I, don't, I mean, maybe not. Who knows? No, but maybe everything that he does is what gives rise to the First Order. It's possible, and also it's established by The Force Awakens that the Republic is able to... The Republic forces Leia to shut down the military. 
She's essentially an outlaw in The Force Awakens. The Republic has no standing military. It's her little resistance. Mm. Yep. Anyway, I can see but you Thrawn can, being you like... You can still do a lot, and you can... Um, I don't know if retcon is the right term for it, but, you know, there's that whole arc towards the end of Clone Wars where they establish that... Um, well, they, where they flesh out how the clones came to be in existence in the first place. And I right. think it only barely gets mentioned in the movies, if at all. Yeah. Plus, I could also see Thrawn kind of helping to restart, creates the First Order, whatever. And then, right before Force Awakens, he has this realization, like, you assholes are going back to this Force thing, aren't you? I did all of... Thrawn out! He just goes back to Chiss, like... Eat my blue... Wah, wah. I, I don't think it, Thrawn would say that, but you know. It would be a hard, hard heel turn, but I... I would like to see an old Thrawn switch sides. But he's... That would be a face turn, then. He face turn, thank you. Sorry. He's, <laughs> it's, he's just such a hardcore believer in everything that the Emperor is doing. Is he... That's how he's depicted in Rebels. Like, he is doing everything for the glory of his emperor. Like, he he has a disdain for almost everything that, everyone that works underneath him, but he considers all of them pawns. Every single one of them. Yeah. We'll see. I'm excited. I don't have enough context to really opine on that, but the way you're describing it sounds to me more like sort of anything to get ahead less than it seems like a true believer, even if he thinks that everyone else who is in the same boat as him is um, less than. At the time of Rebels, there are like three people that outrank Thrawn, and that is the Emperor, Darth Vader, and Grand Moff Tarkin. Tarkin, Those are the only three people that outrank uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. And Vader's Vader's questionable. Right. They get up in each other's grills a lot. Yep. Um, there is still, but the only place to move up to is Tarkin's role. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he already has plans on how that would happen anyway. Yeah. Like he, oh. He's not going to replace Darth Vader because he doesn't understand Darth Vader because it's also proven that if you want to screw up any of Thrawn's plans, throw a force user at him because he does not understand or believe in the force. And oh, it, no. bl- it blindsides him every single time. Does he think it's a government hoax? No, he actually does believe in the Force. He thinks they, they rely on it too much. Because he talks about his own people have these kids that they, this is cheesy, called Skywalkers that allow their ships to, just space is very dangerous to navigate. And mm-hmm. they basically have Force users that are navigation. But is this in the books or is this in Rebels? Yeah, it's in the books. See, mm-hmm. and that's that's the trick is we have to solely go on his depiction in Rebels. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. His depiction in Rebels is he, like, he understands that the Force is real, but doesn't understand, he doesn't understand it. It's why Ezra can get the best of him, despite all of Thrawn's best laid plans, because he will come out of left field with the curveball. He's like, I, how was I supposed to know this even existed? Right. How? I don't get the, this. The other thing that's kind of cool that's, that's hinted at with Thrawn, why he's so, he's so loyal to the Emperor, 
is that it's been it's been hinted at for a long time now that Thrawn has seen what's coming and the whole galaxy is not ready for it. He tried to convince his own government to prepare and they exiled him for it. And he saw basically the power that the emperor was building and was like, well, all right, going to help this guy get stronger because he's the only one who's ready for what's coming. Mm. There's always been kind of this vague reason behind why he does it. Because Thrawn well, knows that Palpatine hates aliens. Mm-hmm. Hates non-humans. Not, yeah, I was going to say, they're all alien. They're all, but, yeah, yeah. But non-humans. Yeah. He, he does not like non-humanoid well, races. How about we go from speaking about characters that have racist intentions to the redemption of Bill Burr's character? Yep. Wait, Believe wait, it. I have two questions before we move yeah, yeah. on to that next yeah, episode. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I read something about how the, um, so when Grogu is on the, uh, on the magic stone and mm-hmm. all that force energy is happening around him, yeah. that there were these, um, these blue butterflies. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, so the, I mean, obviously I saw that, but what I read was that that is somehow uh, some sort of a, a an Easter egg linking uh, to Ezra. Richard, did that did that catch anyone else's attention? Because it's not one I picked up on. Um, first, that's not what an Easter egg is. I I hate the misuse of that term. Now, um, it's an allusion to, but I don't know that it. I don't know how it alludes to Ezra. Okay, I didn't. I, I wasn't clear on that either. That's why I was curious. Do you, um, do you know, Aaron? I'm reading a little bit here, and apparently a lot of this is coming from CBR, who used to be a good comic book site, but now they're not. I forgot. That's right. So Marvel has had that series, uh, The Dark Lord of the Sith, and there's a scene when Vader is also manifesting and contacting through the Force. He also has weird blue butterflies that show up around him. Hmm. So maybe it's not a direct link to Ezra, but it's just some sort of it might force be a force. It might be a force thing. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. And then the other thing that I noticed that I was kind of curious about, and uh, you you guys might not really have an answer for this, but um, so Moff Gideon, he's he's pretty up there. The only mm-hmm. other Moff I've ever known of in the Star Wars universe is uh, Tarkin. Mm-hmm. In the movies, he's Grand Moff Tarkin. Tarkin only ever presents in his military style uniform, his his empire, re, you know, regime garb. But Gideon wears body armor, almost somewhat akin to uh, Darth Vader. What's that about? Well, there. Um, I always read that as um, Gideon was a pilot at one time, because his chest plate looks like a modified version of a Tie Fighter pilot. Yes, it does. But that's just something that you've sort of gleaned. Not, it's not. Like yeah, I mean, necessarily canon. He might just be comfortable wearing armor. Like, even Thrawn has uh, similar trooper armor pieces that he wears when he goes, and as well as a helmet when he actually enters the field of battle. The rest okay. of the time, he's in military gear. Moff Gideon just, like Aaron's talking about, prefers to wear it or always just sees himself as I am always ready to enter the field of battle. Yeah. He, cons- he considers himself a wartime moth. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like they would make go- um, if they gave someone a planet to 
take over that gave them the rank of governor governor moths was a system sectors there's only according to the official start there's only 20 moths at any given time they are a limited number and only the emperor can appoint a moth and tarkin rules all of them Mm. Uh, a grand admiral is over moths but not over tarkin Mm -hmm. so what admiral moth grand admiral grand moth Yeah. yeah Cool. It was always kind of written that the Empire only had like two or three Grand Admirals in its entire existence. So that, granted, they're not the best written, but they're still fun and they're no longer, they're part of the Legend series. But in the Heir of the Empire trilogy, like the mere mention that a Grand Admiral had come back made systems surrender. They're like, well, no. <laughs> the Republic is way, the New Republic's way too far away and there's a Grand Moff like on it. We surrender. Like, nope, nope, it's all good. Yeah. It's like hearing that John Wick is coming for you. <laughs> John Wick. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, on to Bill Burr. Yeah. Fucking hey, man. Um, first off, might have one of my favorite jokes in all of Star Wars ever when they're talking about trying to sneak in and Boba Fett says, there's a problem with them recognizing my face. <laughs> <laughs> so good so good <clears throat> um, yeah I did not expect it to be as emotionally resonant as, as it wound up being mm-hmm. um, like it, for what seemed like it was just going to be a fill in episode to like okay we have to get this character on because he's got info it's just going to be a filler episode unless they're going to go immediately to take on Moff Gideon, which right, they didn't. Yeah. It's like, that was that was strange. It, but it was very, very good. It was this, really good. Super unexpected. And this was, uh, again, this was uh, Rick Famuyiwa, uh, who's one of the original six directors yeah. from season one. Um, he directed the second episode with yep. the Sandcrawler and the Mudhorn. Yes. And then he directed the Prison Break ep- episode, which introduced Mayfield. Right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And he was hired specifically because by Favreau because he does a lot of low-budget indie film where it's like, yep, cut, print, we got to go, the cops yep. are here type of like filmmaking. <laughs> like it's shoestring budget and you just get everything is dirty and gritty. Yeah. And he's like that. I want that guy to make Star Wars movies. It was There's funny that they, they actually interviewed the director and he mentioned the first his first few days uh, on the set were tricky because he would he would take a one or two takes. And he's like, all right, let's move on. And they're like, you sure you don't want to get one more for cover? And he apparently was like, is that in the budget? And they're like, oh, right. We forgot. You work for Disney now. Yeah, it's in the budget, man. He's like, like, oh, well, then, yeah, let's go ahead and do this shot, too. <laughs> But I can imagine where the reason they wanted him or someone with that style of background is because um, he probably is really good at giving director notes prior to actually taking the shoots mm-hmm. and like really establishing the character's uh, you know motivation, their inner thought processes. You, he wants the actors to sort of dive into that character and like really kind of tune in to the emotions and like what's what you know what's going on inside so that 
um, you know, because with a lower budget, you, you, you know, all the focus is, is in the, in the acting and the emotion and the writing. Yes. Yeah, yep. totally. And, and that, that, that played, that, that he, that he, that paid off. Yeah. Easy um, for you to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm running out of brain steam, I think. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Someone has a job again who's taken all of her powers from her. Um, I've been sapped. I I think I mentioned this uh, when we were chatting casually that I likened it to uh, this was an Apocalypse Now meeting Colonel Kurtz moment. Yeah. um, With Bill Burr's, with Mayfield. And except he actually got to do something about it. Right. Which we got to see where he picked up so many of these attitudes and then realized I've, I've been, I've been following the wrong thing this whole time. Like I know what I believe about the universe, but the universe has just given me a chance to write something that I felt was a goal, like a a huge, huge injustice. Yeah. And he took it. (laughs) It was, and I, (laughs) go ahead. Sorry. It's that revelation that someone has when, you know, their whole life is about them and their needs, and and the the you know probably also the people in their immediate vicinity. They they go to work and they they find their pleasure, you know, wherever where, wherever that is for them, and that's sort of it. Their whole world is is them and their job and their immediate family and friends. And then when you suddenly realize that there's so much more happening all around you it's probably right in fucking front of you you just mm-hmm. have to stop and care about anything else for just a little bit just for a moment and uh, and then you're like oh shit i've been contributing to this problem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and i think that that's the meta uh, message in that episode which is we are we are currently in a country where there are a lot of people that have chosen the empire yeah and v- within the next year, they're going to be going, oh, good God, wh- what did I do? Well, I hope. I certainly fucking hope so, yeah. I yeah. think if any, even if it's 10%, even if it's 10%, that's heartening. Because it means that we haven't lost these people. And right. I think that that was the message of hope. Again, getting back to the whole point of Star Wars is to give messages of hope. Like the very first episode we were introduced to was called A New Hope. Um, and in that uh, Mayfield's character, which we knew, he's like, he uses some racist language a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they even acknowledge it when he says, and by you people, I do mean you people. Yes. Like in that episode, like he, they, <laughs> you know, they do it. And they have that line that he, that, that Twi'lek-related slur that he uses yep. uh, in that in his first episode. It's in the it's in the recap of the it previous is. events. To to give that and and to have him be put in the place of like, you're right. I this is wrong, and now I can do something about it. And now yeah. I'm going to do something about it. And I I think that giving having. Uh, Din being able to not only just be a witness to that, but give him space to do that. He he never let, let up on him. He's like, I'm still going to challenge you the entire time. It's like, because you and I are not alike. Yeah. Um, and then he saw a change and went, okay, I'm going to give you space to do this. Yeah. 
Yeah, because, yeah, Mando, I mean, take, yeah, it's the helmet removal. And I love mm-hmm. at the end, he's like, I never saw your face. Yep. Um, when only half an hour, I don't know how long those events were supposed to have taken, but it was just a little bit earlier that day. He's like, what's the fucking difference, dude? You're wearing a helmet now, aren't you? Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It had, I guess, like we all said, it had way more emotional depth than you would expect in this this episode. Yep. Which is essentially like a quick little side mission to get to the end boss kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that side quest, the side quest of the series has been the whole theme of this true. season of Mando. Um, I oh, do hope you get also... to where you're going. You must do this thing for me. Right. It's like, oh, fine. Yeah. Uh, so Norm brings up something that is a, actually a really good segue is, uh, do we think that uh, Mando taking his helmet off in that room full of people is him starting to replace his principles for his love of the child? Little, little beats. Not hit. Well, it, it directly ties into Bill Burr's uh, dialogue in the yeah. truck where he basically says you are going to find reasons to, it's like at some point you're going to do this or do that or violate your code. You're going to find because, a justification. Yeah. Because something is more important. And that was the, the proof of, okay, the child, you know, Grogu is more important to Din than his creed. Yeah. I'm and almost he, surprised at myself for not catching it sooner or expecting that to happen because that, in, in retrospect, they lay it on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we start to see it a lot in this season, especially the one with Ahsoka when he's so excited when Grogu uses the Force. He's like, yeah. And it will even, was it the next episode? Every time he, he looks at it and says, Grogu. Huh? He, he huh? giggles. He goes, <laughs> he, like, he loves it. Yeah, and then he flat out says it at the end of this last episode when he goes all fucking President President Rosalind on Moff Gideon with that hollow message, which is basically (laughs) that that green child means more to me than anything else in the galaxy. I am coming for you. And And I I literally thought of Rosalind's speech when she thinks Adama's been executed at the end of Battlestar. When she's like, I will come for all of you. Like when she's like, I will burn this fleet down to get you. You know? I I, I appreciate that they reran mm-hmm. in the opening Moff Gideon's speech because that was the entirety of what Din said back to him. Yeah. Which left him left Gideon with that face of I may have miscalculated. <laughs> right. I didn't horribly. make that connection. I better watch it again. Yeah, yeah, he he gives him the same speech that Gideon gave the three of them when they were trapped in the cantina. Right. Mm-hmm. After they fucking just butchered Werner Herzog. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so so I'll yeah. have to say yes, Norm. We, we do think that. Yes, that was a long way to say yes. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap up the show. Agreed. Done a, done a solid 90 here. Uh, big thanks to David Walker for hanging out for a little bit. Maybe hopefully, to see him. hopefully he's showering right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, next week we'll have uh, next week we'll have uh, Edelin and Greg on for building character, and then yeah, probably do some discovery. We'll probably cover the two parter. Yeah, mm-hmm. so there'll be. I'm assuming there will be much to talk about then. 
You know and, what my uh, theory is. You and also, like it, it'll you be know our what my theory is. I don't know. I may have to talk when we stop recording. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also next week will be our last uh, Mandalorian review mm-hmm. for until December of next year. We'll have a lot more Star Wars to talk about before then, I'm sure. Oh, that's true. They only announced 10 different shows and movies. Mm-hmm. How could there be more? <laughs> uh, and then it'll cover Marvel shit. We'd have even more stuff. Woof. Uh, that, would, that would just be the whole show. Yeah, go ahead, Bean. I'm sorry about that. I was going to say a reminder that the last Tuesday of the month is also going to be our Geek in the City New Year's party. Yeah, we got to think over how we're going to do that. Like, do we allow more people to hang out? Do we send out limited? The last time we just posted our code up there, we got, you know. We never want to do that again. Why don't we, why don't we like make it a limited thing for, you know, people we know, probably local people, maybe a couple uh, fans who, uh, listeners, I should say, who, who tune in, who we know tune in live. Yeah. We've had Um, some long, we've had some long time chatters that could probably hang out with us. Yeah. Um, And then. uh, Also, you have to dress up. Yes. We are dressing fancy. We're going to like. Have some or as fancy as you can. Cable's gonna be getting off of work, so he may not want to. Yeah, I, I still, yeah. Not, I'm like, you will also be getting off of work, presumably. Uh, yeah, but I only work until four. I have yeah. a weird schedule. But, I mean, Cable, just put on a hat and whatever you drink, keep your pinky up. Like that's all you have to do. Oh, also, that's- I don't work that day. So. <laughs> it's the end of the year. She's not I, retail I, anymore. I, I work yeah. for a tiny retail. little. I work retail. for a tiny little, you know, business business, mm-hmm. not retail mm-hmm. business. And if I can avoid it, I'll never do that shit again. Okay, well, just tie a bow on your pinky so when you drink, it's just a fancy set. <laughs> well, now I'm just gonna have to dress up just just because. Like, okay, and the irony I, being, he's gonna look better than all of us. Yeah, probably. Let's say, do any of your Lego figures have a little top hat? A little top, a tiny top hat on your finger. I, yeah, I probably got it here in the my bin full of hats. <laughs> my haunted house has the 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 guy who runs the haunted house has the top hat. Mm-hmm. See if I get that, I I'm gonna have to build a little Lego um, Baron von Gulo. And Manuel. I have a Manuel already. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I built my Disney train to go around my Christmas tree. All right. Well, with that, (laughs) I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Dean Arita. And I'm Cable Hashitani. And we will talk to everybody next week. Um, Yeah, we'll talk to everybody next week. Bye. Bye bye.